<laughs> He's here to share the word with us all the way from Boyne Island. So Pastor Howard, why don't you come up? Let's give him a warm Port City welcome. Praise God, it's good to come to the suburbs. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's such a privilege to be here this morning and my thanks to uh, James and Michelle and the team here. I've given you a handout this morning and uh, if you've got a pen, I want you to mark or write. Because the truth is that if you walk out of here without taking something definite by Monday morning, you'll have forgotten what I said. And I have this confidence that God is here to speak to hearts this morning. And I have this confidence that there are going to be people here this morning that are going to have a conviction that if they, re if they respond to it, it can change their life forever. Would you say amen to that? Praise God. So... I have, and I think most ministers have this presumption that the body of Christ would like revival. Is that true here? Would you like to have revival in this town? And that's a presumption that we have. Um, but maybe if I put it this way, some of us, maybe most of us think that revival's going to come from the outside in uh, and uh, so we feel pretty safe praying for revival to come from the outside in. But how many of us realise that revival is going to start on the inside of you and I and explode its way out? And uh, the moment, so the moment you begin to think of revival starting on the inside and exploding its way out, then maybe it's a different question because then. It comes down to you and I, not some famous preacher from somewhere else or some mighty man, mighty man of God, you rubbish on. <laughs> Praise God. I am just a person who served God for a long time and continue. I, I was thinking after you were saying that, I reckon I've got 10 years left. That'd be good, wouldn't it? 10 years, 10 years more, that'd make it 35 years. Praise God. Uh, if uh, my excuse to you this morning, if you say hello to me and you know me but I look vague, I probably recognise your face but I haven't got a clue what your name is because it's gone, Siv, hey. So praise God. This morning uh, I want to start with Hebrews chapter 5. Is that right? 5.11 to 6.2. And we have this picture here where Paul is writing. I'm saying, Paul, you can disagree if you want. I'm saying Paul wrote this to some Jewish people uh, with a Jewish background. And I want you to get the sense of what he's saying here. Starting verse 11, there is much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. I want you to listen to that verse. You've been believers 
so long that you ought to be teaching others because there's a statement I want to say about this passage shortly and I want you to get it. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognise the difference between right and wrong. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let's go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Now, when I read Paul writing to these people, I wonder if you'd agree with me, um, like my youngest child is 16, so I've had a bunch of teenagers and I don't actually know how many times I've said this to my teenagers over the many years. I wish you would just grow up and act your age. And I feel like that's what Paul is saying to these believers. You've been believers a long time, but you're still babies. I wish you would just grow up and act your age now. Do you hear him saying that? Here they are going over and over and over the elementary things, but they're failing to wrestle the primary truths into their hearts and becoming what God intends of them. Now I'm going to walk, this, this is like a real airstrip here. And I'm going to keep walking because it's going to keep your attention on me because I might be over here and if you doze over, over there, the next thing I'll be back. And Paul, I hear Paul, he is just so frustrated. Come on, I wish you would grow up and act your age now. And, you know, I look across Christianity, especially in the West, and I think Paul would be yelling it out, yelling it out. Come on, I wish you would grow up and act your age. Come on, be the real deal. Be what God called you to be. Stop playing games. And he goes on and he lists these things. He says, uh, second half of verse 6, Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgments. I want to mention the first five of those fundamentals. I'm actually going to make one into two. You have repentance, this Decision to turn away from that which is evil. Number two, you have this 
turning from that, turning towards God and having faith in God. It's a decision that we make to turn away from one thing and turn towards God. It's an initial thing. Then it goes on, I'm going to call three and four baptisms because we have baptism in water and then we have baptism in the Holy Ghost and then we have laying on of hands. And I want you to understand I'm going to take this track this morning. The first baptism in water is about you dying. The second baptism is about the Holy Spirit coming in and filling and possessing you. And then the laying on of hands is God getting out of you and impacting others. That's God's plan for you and me. And I want you to understand that this is initial. This is start-up doctrine for the church. Sometimes we can have this picture, well, when you've been in ministry for 35 years, then we'll trust you to lay hands on someone and not mess it up. Well, I want to ask you, how long did Jesus wait before he sent out his disciples to heal the sick and cast out demons? Was it 35 years or was it less than 12 months? I'll suggest to you it was less than 12 months. He gave them initial stuff and he sent them out full of power, heal the sick, cast out devils, demonstrate the kingdom of God. So that's sort of the place I want to go this morning and I want to take you past some scriptures and uh, we will see how we go. Praise God. I will look at my clock. Uh, Mal said to me, if we go past two o'clock, most of you will have gone home. Whether we're going to finish by 11, I've taped my watch off so I can't see it. Praise God. Now, I want to divine, define sin for us this morning because if we fail to define sin rightly, we'll fail to understand baptism in water. In the very beginning, God gave Adam and Eve a commandment. He said, don't touch that one tree. And the devil came in and he, he, he got into temptation mode and basically he, he convinced Adam and Eve Make your own decision. Don't listen to God. Make your own decision. You're going to be better off if you make your own decision. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Sin isn't just the things that you do wrong. Sin is the fact that you are God of your own life, that you are the person who makes decisions for yourself. Sometimes, I think in Christ, sometimes we can think, yeah, well, I'm doing okay. You know, when I get desperate, I ask God and he tells me what I should or shouldn't do. But I want to tell you that I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to own your life. Not Sunday morning, 
He died on the cross to own all of your life. He paid a price of ownership. He paid a debt that we could not pay. It's sobering to think about, does Jesus Christ own all of my life or is it some sort of a 50-50 or a 25-75 deal or something like that? I've observed over the years, I've observed it in my own life and I've observed it in others. The more that a person is in control of their life, the less God is. He doesn't fight with us for the control of our lives. That's our choice. But here's the consequence. The more you're in charge, the less presence, the less anointing, the less power you will see in your life. The less infrequently will the supernatural dynamic manifest in and through you. In fact, I believe that is the headway into being religious. It's, well, I've got to achieve this end and so I work and I work and I I work and I do all this. But that doesn't bring the presence of God. That doesn't bring his power to your life. Striving. Everything that comes from God comes by grace through faith. By believing it's true. And so there's one particular thing I really want to highlight this morning and uh, let me turn the page and make sure I'm not getting there too quickly. Hallelujah. Hmm. I'm just going to have to trust God's on this deal. Let me just flick to, there's a little heading in your outline called The Truth About Baptism. No, there must be a scripture before that somewhere, but I can't see it. That's all right. I got my pages numbered wrong or something. Okay, the truth about baptism. No, there's, there's got to be a... Look, isn't that strange? You ever fought with sticky paper? Come on, sticky paper, come out of there. That's better. I knew there was something meant. When you get over 65, maybe you'll be like me and your brain's a bit like a sieve and you need notes just to jog you, to keep you in the right direction. I really want to read this passage about baptism. Hallelujah. Romans 6, 1 to 8. Here's this little debate happening about sinning. Well then, verse 1, chapter 6 of Romans. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more his wonderful grace? So some competition with the gospel saying, if it's all by grace and it's not by works, then the more you sin, the better God looks. That was the argument that was happening in this setting. And so uh, Paul poses that question. And verse 2, his answer comes back, of course not. Of course not. And then he says 
since we have died to sin, notice I, did I underline that in the outline? The gospel is all about us dying to sin. Grace does not say that in Christ I can continue to be a sinner. The gospel says that in Christ I can cease being a sinner. Otherwise, it would be foolishness to write this. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? And some of you will have frowns over what I've just said because we try so hard to be good. In fact, the ascetics those that really read this the wrong way, when they sin, they whip themselves stupid. And, you know, they really get down on themselves because they fail. Verse 3, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? I want you to get a picture in in your mind just for a couple of minutes. I want you to see Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. And I want you to see him paying your price. I want you to see yourself crucified in him. Because in reality, that's what was happening. If he died for your sins, you were dying with him. That's what this scripture is saying. Let me read it again to you. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? Can you picture yourself 2,000 years ago before you were born being crucified with Christ? Reminder, it is not by works, it is by grace through faith. It is a matter of what you believe. That's what the gospel is about. about. It's a matter of what you believe. Verse 4, for we died and were buried with Christ in baptism. As far as God is concerned, 2,000 years ago plus, I died and I was buried in Christ. So now you're looking at a dead person walking around. You're looking at a dead person walking around. You say, but you don't look... Well, that's the, that's the deal. You see, you can be alive and dead or alive and alive. I choose to be a dead man walking around. Let's go on. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will be raised to life as he was 
we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power over you and me. The power of sin in you and I is that I stay in control of my life rather than God being in control of my life. That self-choice, that I will choose, I will be the God of my own life is the power of sin in you and I. But if you and I are crucified in Christ and I am no longer alive, the power of sin is dead. Dead. It's not dead because you whip it. It's dead because Jesus Christ was crucified. Verse 7, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. How many of us realise the power of believing something? The power of believing something. You see, God releases his power through what you believe. The moment I believe that Jesus Christ was crucified in my place, it has the power to save me. That works for every area of spirituality in God. Your healing comes through believing. It's not by works. You, you can't get healed by works. You can definitely press in and be close, but it's believing that heals you. It's believing that sets you free. Otherwise, it would be by works and not by grace. Now I'm ready for page three. Beauty. Thank you, Jesus. The truth about baptism. There's a truth about baptism. I've got it from John chapter 12, verse 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. If you want to hang on to being in control of your life, you will lose it. But if you allow, if you will allow your life to be dead, if you would choose to have death to this life, then you live. Let me finish that scripture. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Isn't that interesting, you know? Well, baptism. I wonder how many of us 
got baptized and ticked the box, got that one done. God will be happy with me now, but never understood that in the midst of baptism, there was a truth that could release life and power in you that's beyond your understanding. Because baptism is about believing that you are dead in Christ. It's about not killing yourself. It's seeing yourself crucified in Christ so that you can say, I am dead. Because here's the truth. If you're not dead in Christ, you're still working hard to try and get there. So here's the other truth. The Apostle Paul wrote this. I'll read it to you in NLT quickly and then I'll look at it in Amplified because it spells it out. NLT says, My old self was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live who live, but Christ who lives in me. So here's the Apostle Paul. He said, I was crucified in Christ. If you were crucified, you're dead. Paul said, I was crucified. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for I keep the law... For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Amplified. I have been crucified with Christ. In him I have shared crucifixion. So he's picturing himself being crucified with Christ. Believing, seeing it happen, believing that it's happened. Then he goes on, he says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ the Messiah lives in me. Now, I want to do a little double take here, a change of words. Remember my four step, repent. Faith, water baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, over in Acts, when Peter preached, he used the same four. He went faith, trust in God, baptism in water, receive the Holy Spirit. And we can get tied up with words and fail to understand what Paul's saying. Because we go, oh, well, Christ seated in heavenly places. From my point of view, Paul should have said, let me read it. It's no longer I who live, but the Holy Ghost who lives in me. Same thing, really. 
I'm not changing theology. I'm just changing your perspective of how you think about it. Because, you know, we say, ask Jesus into your heart. But God says, receive the Holy Spirit. We say Jesus is Lord, but it's the Holy Spirit who is the executor of God's, Jesus' will in you and I. It's him that comes to order our life. It's him that comes to empower us. It's him that comes to bring the life of God in you and I. So reading on. And the life I now live in the, in the body, I live by faith in, by adherence to and reliance on and complete trust in the Son of God. So let me change this again. Let me just change the name. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Holy Ghost who's inside of me. I'm not living by my decisions. I'm living by God living inside of me. So we become a model of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he said, the things that I see, the things I do are the things I see. The things that I say are the things that I hear. So Jesus Christ put across the put aside his deity, and he lived by the Holy Ghost on the inside of him. He did that so that you and I could do it too. I believe that the failure to grasp this means that we live with shandy. We have a little bit of God sometimes and sometimes it just depends how much we've surrendered to God. We can have a little bit of me being in control and occasionally we cry out and say, Holy Ghost, take control. And he's gracious, he gives, gives grace to us and, and he works occasionally but do you think that's what God paid for us for? He didn't pay to get just a little bit of us occasionally so that we could be religious, look good. He paid the price so that he could live in us and be incredible, to be awesome, so that we could be supernaturally natural. so that the presence became my natural. So that I truly began to live a spiritual life. Governed by the Spirit of God. Not governed by my head, but governed from the inside out. Wow, it's 11 o'clock. I'm in trouble. Only one page to go. Is it okay, Mel? You won't sack me? Ah, praise God. I did have some more scriptures, but... 
Maybe I'll just share something. A couple of years ago, I was doing some being educated in healing. I was sitting under Randy Clark. And, and he made a statement. Let me flick his statement out to you and you can wrestle this one to the ground. He was, he was actually teaching about being baptised in the Holy Spirit and, and, and we will just keep it at arm's distance a little bit, his comment, because he was talking about Americans and that might not relate to us but it might relate to us. He was saying that the AOG talk about being baptised in the Holy Spirit, but he, of his opinion, didn't think it was true. He said, for sure they received the gift of tongues. But he said, I've seen so few who are controlled and possessed by the Holy Spirit. He said, I think what they're teaching is receive the gift of tongues. And they're doing that well. And even in our movement, someone might give me an amen if I get this right. Our movement believes that Baptism in the Holy Spirit, the initial sign is speaking in tongues. Notice the word that's used, initial sign. The initial sign that the Holy Ghost is moving in is speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is not the fulfilment of it. It's just the initial sign of it. Because the Holy Spirit, it's dim in my memory because it seems so long ago. But I remember what I was like in 1980. And the Holy Spirit took up residence in a wreck. If I was a house, there was white ants, there was cockroaches, there was the roof falling in in places. And he gave me, he came into me, he gave me the gift of speaking in tongues. But he didn't possess all of me then. And he's been working ever since to possess all of me. But I want you to hearken that these scriptures I'm talking about are not 30 years later. They are the foundation teaching of being in Christ. So I would pose this question to you. Baptism's intended to start happen right at the start. Maybe the next day after you believe. Guess when you are to begin to believe that you are dead? At the very beginning. And it's like, I think it's like so many beliefs. 
I know God said things to me about, about our church at Boyne. I went back to him a couple of years ago. I said, oh, God, you said this to me 20 years ago. We're only 1% of that. God, what do you say now? Well, he hasn't stopped working. But you see, I would encourage you, you to say, take that, that truth. I was crucified with Christ. And so make it yours that you recite it over and over until it's actually true. Because when it's true, God will quite happily say, you are mine. And it'll begin to manifest on your life that you are owned by him. You won't have to fight to be good enough. You will know that you're good enough because the presence of God will convince you of it. Praise God. I want to encourage you, do not settle for a baptism in the Holy Spirit that is just speaking in tongues. Because the word baptism means to be overwhelmed. When we get baptised in water, we speak about immersion, going under the water, when the Holy Spirit overwhelms you. He will begin to possess you. And that would be true spirit possession. When you could say, the Holy Spirit possesses me. Hallelujah. I'm over time and I've got to get out of here <laughs> soon. Here's what I would encourage you this morning. I think there's probably people in here this morning need to begin to die. Need to begin to believe that they were crucified in Christ and begin to believe it and confess it and acknowledge it. Because... It's the only way to put sin to death. You know, if we were intended to flog sin out of ourselves, I'm sure God could have given us a whip. But what he did is he gave us the truth. If we are dead, if we have died with Christ, sin has lost its power. So not really thinking of an altar call this morning as such because altar calls is usually about us getting something from God. If you're not yet fully dead, then it's the other way around. It's time for you to give something to God and that is your life. Your life. Your life. Hand it over to him because that is his agreement with you. If you will die 
He will give you life. I think God is good. I think God is awesome. And he wants revival. He wants revival. Do you know here's the truth about our communities? Each one of our churches represent approximately 1% of our community. If there's 30,000 people in Gladstone, there's 300 people part of this church, 1%. Down in Boyne, it's about 1%. Lifestyle's working on 1%. Did Jesus Christ die for 1%? Jesus Christ died for 100%. We will only rock this world when we do it God's way. When we stop trying to turn the place upside down and let God turn us upside down. Sometimes I try and imagine down in Boyne if if we were 10% rather than 1%. We would have a house in every street in Boyne. We'd begin with 10%. We'd begin to have an impact that went past the community centre. That's why we need revival here. And it starts with the Holy Spirit possessing you and I. So here's the older call. Give your life to Christ. Give it to him profoundly because he purchased it. Amen. Thank you. See my problem? I've got to compare myself for that. I've got to start walking more. Because you walk. I'm just looking at the carpets wearing out. I'm just going to. Amen. Great thoughts there. Hey, I just, at the, as he was finishing, I just had a thought of a. A, a remark or a quote by uh, Mother Teresa. And it's in line with what Howard finished with there. And she said, I love all these people who come to visit me and my place at Calcutta and they come and help and they do this and they do all these wonderful things while they're here. But you know, I'd really rather they stayed at home and did it at home in their own community instead of taking two weeks holiday and coming to India for two weeks and doing it full on for two weeks. I'd rather they stayed at home and put that effort into their own community. That's what we can do, can't we? And it doesn't have to be hard. That's the best thing about it. (laughs) It can be very simple things as uh, we die to Christ and we become like Christ and uh, we extend that love of Christ out to our neighbourhood. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've been able to just join here together in your very presence through your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we've had opportunity to worship you as we best we can this morning. We thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit, that word would go deep into each and every one of us, Lord. Father, may we not forget it and not just 
do nothing about it, but we would chew on it and think about it in the days to come. We thank you for your grace and your wonderful love to each and every one of us that is here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great afternoon. Have a good morning tea, so grab someone and have a chat.